Welcome to 4D. Deep dive into degenerative diseases. Gaining insights through casual and amusing clinical conversations. Welcome to 4D, a podcast brought to you by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Special Interest Group. I'm Rebecca Martin, a physical therapist, the chair of the Degenerative Disease Special Interest Group, and a member of the podcast team for our SIG. I'm here today with Dr. Rupal Patel to talk about the Health Promotion and Wellness Council. Rupal is a faculty of physical therapy at Texas Women's University, who is involved in the Academy of Neurologic Physical Therapy as the chair of the Advocacy and Consumer Affairs Committee and the Health Policy and Administration section of the APTA, as well as other areas. But today she is here to talk with us through the lens of the Health Promotion and Wellness Council, of which she is a founding member. Rupal, can you talk a little bit about what the Health Promotion and Wellness Council is? Sure. Well, thank you, first of all, Rebecca, for having me on the show. This is exciting um, to talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And so the APTA's Health Promotion and Wellness Council is really um, a community of therapists, uh, therapist assistants, students um, that are really interested in incorporating concepts related to wellness, prevention, health promotion into physical therapy practice, and also promoting for health equity and reducing health disparities and talking about healthy lifestyle changes that can promote those kind of things, reduce our burden of disease as a society, not just at the individual level, but also at the community and societal level. So that's kind of in a nutshell, what the council is about. What a great concept. And and thanks for joining us. Uh, So how did this council come to be? Wow. So it's been, you know, years in the making. I remember the first conversation about it was actually, I'm a member of the House of Delegates for the APTA. And there was a motion that was brought forth by the New Jersey uh, chapter and Mike Eisenhart at that time, I believe was president of the chapter about, you know, just the PT's role in health promotion, prevention, that kind of thing. And um, got a robust debate on the house floor, you know, in terms of, is that really our wheelhouse? And um, it passed. And so that's when um, there were a lot of great minds there at, at that meeting. And just kind of talking about the different options, you know, uh, are we looking at kind of being a section, you know, well, it's not really, you know, health promotion applies to every section, right? Here I am talking to A&PT, we know there's other sections. And so it can't, it's not really a section, but, you know, it's something overarching that, you know, all areas of practice, all specialties across the lifespan. And so that's where kind of the idea of a council was born, because APTA had a couple of councils already. And so it's a very loose structure and anybody can join. And I, I just love the idea that you didn't want to be a separate section. You didn't want to silo off to the side. You, you stayed a council. And I think that really does make it something that's, that's more approachable for all of the different sections. And then you have these representatives that are interacting directly with the different SIGs who can bring these different perspectives together, which I think just makes it a much more rich council from my perspective. Exactly. I mean, I think that's, you hit it on the head there because, uh, you know, uh, what health promotion looks like for someone, you know, that's working with families uh, and kids is going to be different than degenerative diseases than, you know, with geriatric. And so on the council website, you know, there's an online form you basically fill out to kind of become part of the roster. And we do have a hub. And so that's where, again, um, 
uh, members of the council come together uh, for ideas and for exchange of different things and even questions that people may have or, you know, I need a referral here or I'm thinking about doing this. Has anybody have experience with this? So and sharing of resources as well. So it's a it's a no fee required right now. And there's a nice, robust online community that you can be part of as well. So um, yeah, but because of no fees, the, the structure is loose. And uh, also, you know, um, uh, we're a lean, mean machine. So there's not a whole lot of like uh, uh, monetary resources to do things. It's really a community of people coming together and sharing things. Right. And so um, looking at it from that perspective, you say you're a lean, mean machine. Are you needing a lot of support from more members? Are, are there a lot of task forces that have empty seats in them? Is this an opportunity for people? So there's definitely opportunities to be part of different committees that are working on different things. Um, you know, I think our current committees, there's a committee on outreach and development. So just reaching out to more sections and different chapters, uh, promoting the council's work and connecting to see what's going on in different components and chapters. And there's a best practice committee that's looking at, you know, kind of what are best practices when you think about uh, this whole area of health promotion, wellness, and prevention. Um, There's an education committee, which I'm part of as well. And we're working right now with ACAPT, which is the American Council of Academic Physical Therapy, kind of developing, you know, a proposal on what should be uh, kind of entry-level content related to health promotion um, and prevention and wellness that we teach, you know, to students and things like that. Um, and so if anyone is interested in joining a committee, when they click on the online form, you just indicate this is the committee that I'm interested in. And that's how you then, you know, uh, can join it. And there's also opportunities, I think, to become a component ambassador. So Neuro's done an awesome job, and we do have two ambassadors from Neuro on the council, Um, but we'd like to get that from all the sections as well as all the components so that we could have a really big group of like 70, 80 that are like the core ambassadors that can bring stuff up as well as kind of filter stuff down, um, you know, as part of the council. Right. We do a similar thing here in the DD SIG with the liaisons to a, a bunch of different outside foundations like Parkinson Foundation and the MS Society. And it really it works well and it feeds into our newsletter. So there's a little plug for our newsletter. Today, we want to frame this talk around a specific patient population just to help pull all this great information into context. So let's say we're working with a patient with Parkinson's disease who never exercised before being diagnosed, but luckily heard pretty quickly that exercise is medicine for this population. So let's say that Bob came into PT. He was sent home with a program. He returns six months later for his, you know, dental schedule check-in and uh, reports that he's still really excited about beginning exercise soon. So with that kind of that patient in our mind here, do you want to start with why health promotion and wellness is even important for this patient population? Yeah, definitely. So I think that, you know, when we talk about people with Parkinson's, all aspects of their health and well-being is impacted, right, from Parkinson's. So not just their motor and physical, but cognitive, psychologically, emotionally. So, you know, thinking about the person holistically from the six dimensions of wellness, I think is important for us as providers and looking at the whole person and how does movement impact even the other other dimensions of wellness. So you just mentioned the six dimensions of wellness. Could you 
Tell us what those six dimensions are. Pretty much what the council looks at are from the National um, Wellness Institute, and they have their six dimensions of wellness. So emotional wellness, occupational wellness, spiritual wellness, physical wellness, social, and intellectual. And so when we talk about physical wellness, it's not just the the physical body and movement, but it also has to do with sleep and nutrition and some of our other health behaviors kind of go in that realm. And then, um, you know, occupation, our work, burnout, stress, you know, ability to work like with a person with Parkinson's Um, and spiritual is not just religion, but just that sense of believing in something, a higher power or being able to center yourself in a way, things like that. Social is huge, especially I think for people with degenerative conditions, because there's so much isolation that happens as they progressively um, get worse with their condition. And so, and, and that can impact not just their physical health, but all other aspects as well. And so that's a big one. And then occupational, they may not be able to do the, the work that they used to do. And there may be barriers to be able to work, there may be living conditions and environments that are not conducive to kind of their movement and other issues. And so that's another huge dimension. So those would be the six dimensions of wellness from the National Wellness Institute. Okay, great. And thank you for that perspective. It really gets us thinking about, you know, all of those things that we should be considering for our patients, because the way they move, the way they are participating socially is really why they're coming to see us most of the time. How do I get back to doing some of these different aspects of wellness that I'd like to participate more in? With wellness, you know, you you kind of think of it as a circle or a wheel, and each of these dimensions is a spoke. If any one of those spokes wasn't functioning well, then your whole well-being, your whole being is not functioning well, right? And so it's important as physical therapists for us to think about all the dimensions of wellness, even though we may be focusing our interventions and targeting that to a specific movement or sensory or perceptual issue, but how does that impact the whole wheel? And does that patients uh, with Parkinson's, you know, how is that whole wellness wheel moving for them? So one of the self-assessment tools on the um, National Wellness Institute is basically kind of that wheel and it has a scale where, you know, rate yourself in each dimension from one to 10. And, you know, the scale is like spokes on the wheel. And then you can kind of connect the dots and then you can see, okay, if I connect those dots, it's not, uh, you know, a good representation of balance on that wheel. And so maybe what are some areas that, you know, we could focus on. So that's a good self-assessment to even do with patients um, and say, you know, let's kind of look at holistically your wellness and um, you self-assess and say, where are you with this now that you have this new diagnosis that's, you know, I imagine scary for you. So that's a good, good first step in terms of screening and, and, and kind of opening or starting the conversation. Because a lot of times if you dive straight in, they may not understand like, where, where is this coming from? Why are you talking to me about this? But if you say these are the dimensions that make you you, where are you with these? And then let's have a conversation about areas that you feel like maybe you um, want to work on. Great. I love that wheel analogy. I think it really puts a, a nice perspective on it. And you kind of rolled right into where I was hoping to go next, which is we talked about how wellness is important for this patient population and bringing it back to Bob. 
you talked about how you'd kind of bring that right in on the first visit during the evaluation, maybe even, you know, using that wheel to think about what kind of goals, patient-centered goals am I going to set for this individual? Are there other specific things during the evaluation that you think we should be considering? Yeah, definitely. I think all the different health behaviors that contribute to overall mortality. So, you know, when we think about what are the behaviors that, um, you know, we as individuals do that contribute to us staying healthy. So certainly your eating habits and the nutrition and weight management, which again, can be an issue for people with Parkinson's because they move less. And so, you know, you have to kind of balance your energy equation, what you put in versus what you're putting out. So nutrition and weight management, physical activity, certainly that could be limited because of Parkinson's disease. Um, Smoking, and you know we know smoking uh, impacts just about every aspect of our uh, of our body including our brain and the ability to slow down progression of a disease such as parkinson's alcohol consumption um, has an impact on health as well sleep sleep is the superpower there's so much research coming out that's looking at sleep and its impact on progression of things and impact of manifestation of things. And so, you know, how many hours do you get a night and what's that quality like? Do you, you know, sleep through the night? Do you get up? You know, those are things that we should assess uh, with our screening. And so asking simple questions in terms of, is a person getting enough fruits and vegetables? Because that's important from a health perspective, whole grains, you know, what are they consuming in that And and lean fats, uh, I mean, good fats and lean uh, protein protein sources and things like that. So asking, just starting the conversation about that, um, measuring height, weight, uh, waist circumference, and also calculating BMI and looking at, you know, um, what that is for our patient. And then in terms of, um, their physical activity, just at the physical activity vital sign, you know, which is basically asking them, do you engage in physical activity at that moderate intensity, about 30 minutes, most days of the week, right? Because our goal is to get them to that 30 minutes. And as physical therapists, that's kind of our wheelhouse. Like my patient with Parkinson's is not moving right now, but maybe five minutes, three times a day at light intensity, how am I going to get them to this level, get them to 30 minutes, moderate intensity? What are the modifications? What not I have to make? So those are really important questions from a health promotion um, standpoint that we should be asking all our patient clients, but especially, you know, with degenerative conditions like Parkinson's. So I'm, I'm listening to all of these different things that are good to ask our patients about. And I'm also thinking back to the PD edge and the recommendations there for the movement specific tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think about how do I prioritize these things? Are you doing all of this during the first visit? Are you sending some of this information home? How do we make this realistic for the PT in the clinic? Yeah, yeah, I know that's a great question and stuff that my students ask all the time too. And so I think the beauty of being a health promoter and a physical therapist is that we have time with our patient. So, you know, we're, we're not the physician who sees that person with Parkinson's maybe once a quarter or once a month, depending on their medication regime for a few minutes, right? And most of the time when we're working with people like with Parkinson's, we're seeing them you know, one to three times a week in an outpatient setting if they're, uh, you know, and so we have time and usually over several weeks, 
right? And so this is something as you develop rapport with the patient, you can uh, incorporate these things in and and listen, you know, like when they were talking about, you know, the initial wellness, like we care about your whole being and all aspects of your wellness. So you're here for your movement dysfunction, but these other things impact your movement. And so I'm going to kind of ask you this cursory, cursory wheel, you know, kind of thing first, and then d- take a deeper dive maybe into each uh, of those dimensions each time you see them. Say, you know, any of these that interest you that you want to talk about, that you want to learn more about, or you have questions about. So let it be something that the patient is interested in, you know, as part of the motivational interviewing techniques and health promotion that we do in health coaching. And so, um, and then, yeah, you know, explore that. Let me ask the questions related to physical activity. Let me ask the, uh, start the conversation about nutrition, about sleep, you know, and one good tool where you can find some of those measures is the APTA has a Um, annual PT checkup, kind of a form or a template. And these health behavior questions are on the template. So you can kind of lift some of those directly from that template um, and put that as part of your intake or just even your subjective questioning you do of your patient each time you see them, you know, asking about a different health behavior or behavior they're concerned about. Does that help? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I'm, I'm going to ask another question kind of along the same lines, but now you're talking about nutrition. We're talking about their psychological well-being. How do we balance being too hyper-focused on movement with maybe crossing too much into focusing on nutrition and their psychological well-being? What are you referring out to somebody else? How are you maintaining a balance? Yeah. So, you know, that's a great question. And that's, I think, uh, each time with each patient client, it's different. Right. And so, and I think a lot of it is have to do with our own self-efficacy as therapists in these different realms. Some people are very comfortable, um, talking about psychological wellness and providing that mental health first aid. Not everybody's comfortable doing that. And, um, and then nutrition is another one. Like I, uh, I have my PhD in health promotion and wellness. So I didn't really know much about nutrition until I got into uh, my PhD coursework. And we took several classes that related to health risk behaviors and nutrition. And that's when I became confident in my skills, because I was taught tools in terms of what I can use as a healthcare provider that's not a registered dietitian to do that. And so those are the things that we're teaching now in our curricula, uh, you know, nutrition in our curricula for PT students, and also for therapists, there's uh, things available. And so I think that um, uh, your confidence in your ability to, um, you know, provide information is important. There's also APTA position statements related to sleep, related to nutrition, where it says as for nutrition as physical therapists, we it's within our scope to screen for that and to um, give general nutrition advice and education, and then to refer out for anything specific that has to do with a nutrition um, a, a disorder or, you know, something that's a little uh, more than that. So there's, again, great screening tools. Um, the one uh, uh, that is not Parkinson's specific or degenerative disease, but thinking that some of our patients with degenerative conditions are also a little bit older, not all, you know, because you have some that are younger, but, you know, there's geriatric malnutrition um, screening tools that are very quick and easy. And I've used those 
um, quite often that take five minutes of going through a chart and looking at a patient and measuring, you know, weight and stuff to give you a risk score. So there's a lot of tools out there, but so much of it is our own self-efficacy. So learning about it as physical therapists and becoming confident just with any other skill, right? And then whenever in doubt, refer out. You know, if you're, and even if it's within your scope, but you feel like, nope, not my wheelhouse, you know, like I'm a neuro PT, uh, you know, um, uh, that's what I was born. And, you know, I do more community health now, but, you know, I'm certainly not the, the most adept person when it comes to doing spinal manipulation. So, you know, if my patient needed that, I would refer out, like, I know, okay, this patient indicative of getting a manipulation, but probably not me. So I need to call in a colleague to do that work, you know, so we can certainly do that too, you know, as a refer out. Absolutely. And that's just part of being a professional now is knowing your own limits, your own scope of practice, when you need to refer out, having that network and also being able to tell the patient when it's, yeah, it's just definitely not you who's the right person to do it. So we've talked about the evaluation. We've talked about how these are topics and things that are going to come up throughout the the time that the patient is working with you. Now, how does this look at discharge? So you always want to meet the patient where they are first, right? And so if they want to talk about changing their weight and nutrition or their sleep habits, or, you know, maybe alcohol consumption or whatever it is of smoking. So you meet them where they are, and then you kind of help progress them from kind of where they are in their stage of change. So maybe it's, they'd, they'd never really thought about how, you know, smoking impacts their Parkinson's disease. Maybe they're smoke because it helps them relax and they think it's going to make them less stiff and not more stiff. And so they're in a very pre-contemplative stage in terms of like, how does this even relate to my Parkinson's, you know, or nutrition? How does eating more fruits and vegetables and whole grain going to actually make a difference in my Parkinson's or my weight? So kind of helping them through that process of uh, making them aware and seeing the significance and the importance, and then helping them with those behavior changes as you're working with them in physical therapy on their movement and other things. And then as you discharge them, kind of where are they with their, you know, if they're still in the action stage, then they're still going to need a lot of support to maintain that health habit. And so then again, what are community resources? What are, what's the next level of care? So just connecting them so that all the work you've done doesn't just end that, you know, they continue down that path of wellness and that dimension that they're working on. So that would be the biggest thing is like, where are they? And what do they need for that next level? Just like we do next level of care, you know, in terms of their transition, we have to think of that for their wellness as well. Connecting them to community resources, I think is a, is a big thing, you know, uh, for a lot of their wellness to continue after, especially a newly diagnosed person, because that's very scary uh, to have that at new diagnosis and, uh, and then seeing others living with it successfully and being able to relate to that, I think is important. So I, I know you're mentioning community resources. I think a lot of times it is physical therapists who are running these community-based programs. Do you think the average PT or clinic should be targeting the population at large, focusing more specifically on how their individual patients can be transitioning to a wellness plan? What would you, what would be your dream? If you could have your pie in the sky, would every PT clinic have these wellness programs built right in? Well, I mean, that would be ideal, but there's also already things existing in the community. So I mean, I think ideally, like 
know what's in your community in all these different uh, areas of wellness so that when, whenever you have a patient that has a need, you can connect them right away, you know? And so knowing the resources in your area, inviting the, the community relations manager, whether they're a PT or not from the local Parkinson's society to your clinic, you know, uh, having a meeting with them, going to them, seeing one of the classes, meeting some of the therapists that are doing that, and then letting your patient maybe experience some of that while they're in therapy with you so that it's not like, okay, discharge by now go do this other thing. So I think it would be important as physical therapists for us to connect with those community resources early on, introduce those to our patients early on um, so that it's symbiotic when we kind of discharge them from our level of care to that community-based care. And if there's not programs available, then by all means, yes, I think we should develop them, you know, in our clinics, partner with community organizations, nonprofits, others, so that it's more community-based and not clinic-based. Because health happens where people live, where people work, where they age, you know, where they pray, where they go to school, you know, and we need to have resources where their health happens. And that symbiotic relationship that you were talking about is something that I hugely believe in. And I love it when I see physical therapists who are teaming up with the personal trainers in the community to say things like, if you have a person who has Parkinson's, give me a call. Let's make sure that you're, you're considering all the right things. And I love the idea, like you said, about having uh, a two-way street there that's ready for them to discharge and head out into the community to a place that you already know is a good environment for them to be in. It's a great point. Yeah. So within the ANPT, are there resources that are already ready to go? I think our section is probably, we have a plug to geriatric too, are probably the two that have the most resources. And so our health promotion and wellness SIG now, Alyssa Bradford is the chair of that. And they're the ones that develop that page. And so under, I think, practice resources on the ANPT website is where we have the health promotion and wellness resources. And so there's tools for clinicians, there's tools for patients there. Um, you know, there's also uh, some key articles where you can learn information. And just recently, I think last month, um, the group from the uh, our, our health promotion and wellness SIG published an article in ANPT related to health promotion in the neurologic population. So I think that is a great kind of foundation article that, you know, every neuro PT should read and kind of think about the implications for their own practice. When I was communicating with Alyssa before, she was mentioning that there's this bridging the gap PT mm -hmm. physical activity YouTube yep. video that she recommended. The Bridging the Gap video it, that Alyssa did was an introduction to the actual toolkit. So they developed a, a pretty hefty resource, like a 30-page toolkit that kind of is a document that therapists, you know, uh, neuro-PTs can use in terms of recommendations related to health promotion and wellness. So um, watching her short video that explains that, but also kind of downloading the document itself that's free, again, for uh, members to utilize on that page and, and kind of thinking about um, how you can bridge the gap from rehab to kind of, you know, that person living in the community with their neurologic condition. To not just kind of stay in our wheelhouse, so to speak, of movement alone, but thinking about health and promoting health from a broader perspective and how we can infuse some of these other things as part of a lifestyle modification program is kind of the objective there. 
Rupal, I've heard you say time and time again, lifestyle modifications. And I would like to start a movement for our population to stop saying home exercise program altogether, because I think it scares so many people away. Uh, They hate this idea of exercise, but when we just build it in and we talk about minor changes in your lifestyle, these lifestyle modifications, I love that term, Rupal. Yep. No, it's, it's so true. And I think exercise, the word exercise is just scary for most people, you know, and then I think as PTs, we feel like physical activity is not enough. But really, when you look at the science is so strong that, you know, moderate intensity, 30 minutes, you know, average per day, 150 cumulative through the week really has the the cardiovascular benefits that we need to stave off heart disease and some of those conditions. More is better. Intensity is good too, but really you don't need to do that level. If we can just get our patients to doing moderate intensity at 30 minutes, you know, that's going to help a lot. And so that's the lifestyle change. And if they weren't there before their Parkinson's or their other condition, then, you know, now we've got to get them there. Now they have a condition. Now it's even more important that they move more and are more active given their condition. So, you know, how do we help them do that? So that's, yeah, lifestyle modification. So one of the things that I've talked with my friend Heidi Kazakowski about several times is this idea that altruism is one of our core values in the APTA. And a lot of PTs feel like that means that they, they kind of need to give away these PT services. And as I'm talking with you, I, I feel like some physical therapists are going to think, okay, so if I do these community classes, I need to volunteer my time for this. And so do you... Do you feel like it all needs to be volunteer? Does that undervalue physical therapists a little bit? What's your perspective? Yeah, it's still a tough question, but no, absolutely. I don't think that we should give away everything, um, you know, and our services because, you know, the value is, uh, you know, people see value in sometimes paying for things. So, I mean, a, a good analogy will be that, you know, some people value getting their nails done like clockwork every week or every two weeks or getting their hair colored like clockwork a certain time. And so that's a good and a a goods and services that you value and you spend your money towards. And so, you know, um, lifestyle modification, having a, uh, having a physical therapist as your health coach to help you through uh, changes in your health and wellness, you know, it's something that they have to value. So, in order from the value it, I think we have to show our value. And so sometimes to show our value, we, we may initially have to do some uh, self-promotion and some of that promotion may be giving away some of our services, but it shouldn't be like always doing it for free. And I think that is a maybe a misconception that, oh, health promotion, great, you know, do that if you have time because that's all free stuff. Well, it doesn't have to be. Um, and yes, in our reimbursement models, it's not valued, right? Promoting health is not valued. It's all about once you get a condition and then, you know, you're spending all this money downstream, you know, versus upstream. And then you can certainly work in different models. So you can do things group-based, um, which, you know, you can charge less for, but at the same time, you are not char- charging as much because it's your time is the same, whether you have one person or five persons, but they may be getting more out of it from the socialization, working together and those kind of things too. So it's value added, 
maybe for them, but it's also costing them less. And, you know, as a provider, maybe you're able to provide the same time and amount of service in a different scheme. So we want to kind of, since we're talking about health promotion, wellness, prevention, we want to make it more than just exercise class because we want to be holistic in our approach. And the uh, if you're doing group-based exercise, it could be social component to that, certainly the emotional, psychological, but, you know, you could also have um, things related to nutrition and sleep and, you know, maybe have a Part of that be a seminar or a speaker or maybe a healthy, um, you know, uh, uh, potluck that you can incorporate as part of the class or celebration or demonstration. You're kind of, you know, emphasizing um, wellness and health promotion from a holistic perspective with the focus being on, you know, exercise or movement or things like that. So I think that would, and then again, use your community resources, maybe, you know, invite the, um, I know in our grocery store, one of our grocery chains, they actually have registered dietitian that'll do a uh, grocery store tour. You could invite that community dietitian to your group or take your group to walk the grocery store, you know, and, and learn about good nutrition, you know, so you're doing movement and nutrition. So different ways to, to not just kind of stay in our wheelhouse, so to speak. Yeah, that's great. And I just think that your suggestions there are going to provide ideas that will make these programs more sustainable and sound a lot better to rehab directors that are like, oh, I really don't want to let you give up your time because I don't know how we'll we'll get that money back. So thank you very much. Rupal, I know that you are very active on Twitter, but how do you like to spend your free time? Oh my gosh. I love the mountains. Uh, nature is my happy place. And so anytime I can get away, I live, I'm a flatlander here in Houston. Um, it's very flat. We're very close to the, you know, the sea level. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I love the mountains. That's kind of my big thing. Um, and spending time with family, you know, it's kind of boring, but good. <laughs> Rupal, it's been fantastic having you and learning more about the great work that the APTA Health Promotion and Wellness Council has been doing and the great resources that are available. Well, thank you so much. This was fun and I enjoyed it. And you guys are awesome and uh, appreciate you having me on. This podcast was produced and edited by the ANPT Degenerative Diseases Podcast Team. Our team includes Sarah Zoller, Parm Paget, Katie McGraw, Adriana Carey, Casey Burris, and I am Rebecca Martin. Make sure to check out our show notes for all the great resources that were mentioned in today's podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter on the ANPT website, neuropt.org, or check us out on Facebook or Twitter. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a colleague today. Thanks to Jimmy McKay for providing music, and thank you for listening. This is a blooper reel, right? Blooper reel right here. No. Oh, I even did Wikipedia and, and, and YouTube. All right. From National Council on Something. I can't say it. I have to write this out right now. Sarah, I'll redo that one for you. <laughs> I can't answer your question. You should have probably said, answer my question. <laughs>